Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Hi, everyone. Marin here. I have Margot today, and we're going to talk about first-time births, all the variations, the fast ones, the slow ones, and maybe a little bit about what we've learned along the way. Cool. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Where should we start? Where should we start? Could I guess start with what the inspiration was for doing this? Yeah. Well, the obvious inspiration is getting the honor to attend first time births. Uh, We were chatting, of course, about how some midwives don't do that at all. Attending first births are off the table for some people. Um, And so, yeah, we've just had a run of them, I guess, lately. And all with slightly different stories and just talking about how different they really can be. Yeah, and how they're sort of so much more of a wild card than other births. And, you know, I guess in the really, you know, honest place of it, like, just kind of more stressful as a midwife in a lot of ways. And also sometimes, you know, even more um, celebratory with the first baby coming out. And sometimes after, after a long, hard haul of it, which I guess we'll talk about. Um, and then sometimes not. Yeah. They're just yeah. kind of a different, yeah, different beast than second, third, fourth, 10th babies. <laughs> Yeah, they're really in a category all of their own. And I think most people in our world would frown at the idea of the medical perception, which is the whole unproven pelvis thing before someone's had a baby. And I'm not saying I think there's truth to that necessarily, but I think it represents, like you said, just the unknown, the mystery, the fact that a person's never done it before is huge, not just in the physical, but also like mentally, emotionally, like what are they in for? What have their challenges been in the pregnancy? How's their relationship? Like everything matters a million times more, it seems like in first births. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I was talking to um, Alicia about this recently and probably you too, Marin, if I recall, but just that feeling not of not trusting somebody and not trusting that their body will do it, but just this like little wondering of, you know, are they going to do it? You know, that's always come comes up in the back of my head at a birth, a first birth, um, even if it's just for a second or two, which doesn't usually play into other births. And I guess I mean that on a lot of levels. Um, and I think we'll get into to some of like the numbers or whatever in a little bit about why that might be. But um, yeah, it just is a different feeling sometimes to not be sure right? how it's going to go. 
Right. Not that we're ever sure. Yeah. 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 But I guess the human need to make predictions is still something. I mean, I feel like I deal with in my head, you know, um, sort of how it will go or what you think this person might choose or not choose, but it's continually humbling, especially with first births. Cause we, I feel like we just really don't know. So we could maybe talk about how we like to prepare people a little bit. I think that's a cool place to start. I agree. I was just sitting with a first time mom who hasn't had her baby yet. She's due a couple weeks just was sitting with her yesterday um, and coming off of the heels of a couple first births that were definitely longer. Um, and so, yeah, like literally was having this conversation with somebody yesterday and, and I feel like I'm always trying to figure out the magic way to try to help prepare somebody, um, you know, and as somebody who had a really long first birth myself, you know, I have the experience of, being in birth before that and being in birth after that. And I still don't know that I have like the magic solution, but I think it comes back to what we've said so many times in different places, which is just, you know, really taking good care of yourself during the labor process, because you don't know how long it's going to be particularly the first time. So I don't know what I said to her too yesterday was, you know, it, it kind of, it's like it, everyone says like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll rest. I'll eat all, I'll drink. And then in the process, all of a sudden that those things don't sound as good anymore, or they just sound sort of crazy. And I don't know how to, to overcome that hurdle sometimes with, with certain people and how they're feeling in the labor process. So um, that's what I was saying to her. It's just like, this is me planting the seed saying, Yes, you've said that you're going to do those things. You know what to do in case it is a long haul. Um, but in the moment, you're going to be like, no, it's not going to be long for me. Or I don't want to do those things. And, it, and that doesn't apply to me. I said, but it does. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts about that, Mary? Because you don't want to terrify somebody, obviously. Right. right. Yeah, it's just hindsight is twenty twenty with anyone, with everyone. And I think it's always the fine line of not predicting someone's experience or trying to put a story on them prematurely. Like, Mm -hmm. you really can't say all first births are long. Like, we wouldn't say that. But yet, the reality is, if it is long, and you have this perception, or in your case, misunderstanding that the baby's going to fall out in four hours, then you could feel severely unprepared. So yeah, just that, that combo between honest preparation for the what ifs, and leaving it open to sure, you can also have a baby super fast, and easily. And you're welcome to focus on that as much as you want. As long as you understand if it's not looking that way, there are certain things that your body will need to get through it. Totally. And that there's no recipe, you know, obviously if there was a recipe for fast births, we would, or, you know, maybe not even fast, but medium, (laughs) medium length births, we would probably, you know, be, be helping people with that recipe 
throughout their pregnancy. But yeah, like you said, there is no way to predict. And that's part of like the really cool mystery of it. And also can certainly be a source of anxiety, I think for both moms and, and midwives. Um, but like you said, yeah, kind of preparing on for all possibilities because we don't know. Yeah, I think emotional preparation is huge. Although I fully admit, I don't quite understand how that works or doesn't work. And again, it's that (laughs) formula. Like, if it was possible to work out all your shit before, and that meant something, then everybody would try their darndest to do it. And I think that's not always how it goes. But it still seems like a good idea to work through fears, you know, to work through maybe expectations, that sort of thing, so that one is as clear as they can be in the process. However, we all know that things crop up sometimes in labors that we didn't work on or we didn't expect. And I think that comes back to, well, just a variety of factors that we probably don't control, but maybe the part we do is just having a trust in ourselves or our bodies or whatever it is for that person you know, to get through the challenges, because we can't always predict the challenges. That's the trickiest part. And I mean, of course, that goes for any labor. But the first labors are just specifically challenging. Because someone just doesn't know yet, like, where they even are in the process, you know, like, you're, they're feeling one thing, and it seems really intense. But yet, that's not really, you know, (laughs) the most to come yet. So, it's like hard to gauge, I feel like, you know, and as the midwife too, often like where people are at, or, you know, how are they coping with this? It's like, all in hindsight, that it makes more sense. Yeah, totally. I think that's a huge topic, maybe one we could spend more time talking about. Like, I was also at a third birth recently. And I was actually with her for her second birth, too. And it's just... Um, you know, when somebody's had this experience already in their own body, there's just a lot less um, guessing or like wondering about what they're feeling, for, like on their behalf, if that makes sense. Like, you know, she was like, I feel like I need to push now at this most recent birth. And to me, that just meant like, then she's going to push her baby out. Whereas with a first time mom, sometimes people say they're feeling pressure, they feel like they need to push. And that's not actually what they mean because they haven't experienced the, the actual urge to push ever in their life. And so it's not that you don't believe people or you don't trust them, but it's that like they're, they're interpreting these sensations for the first time and trying to match it up with whatever birth education they've gotten or the way that other stories have been told to them about birth. Um, so they don't, it's like, they just don't have um, the map yet for what that feels like in their own body And so, you know, I've had people tell me they're feeling pressure, like, oh, I'm feeling so much pressure. I feel like I'm going to poop. I feel like there's the baby on my tailbone or like, like it's going to explode out of my butt. And then, you know, on a rare occasion when I'm doing a vaginal exam, baby's nowhere close to coming. And you're like, well, what is that? How does that, like, it's again, not that I don't believe them that they're feeling that, um, but it's this element of they're trying to put, um, place themselves on a map with like not full information yet (laughs) of the journey or something. Yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like that's a curse of birth education, too, if there is one. You know, I Mm -hmm. always say if we could somehow go back in time or maybe to a different location in the world, even now, where women really didn't have all that information, but they had more trust and connection and they just were like squatting their babies out, you know, on mud floors, kind of like that would be more ideal because the brain can get so wrapped up in that analytical place, even for women that are having relatively undisturbed birth experiences. I mean, what you said was the perfect example. And it happens all the time. And it's not a matter of someone being wrong. It's just like you said, they have nothing to compare it to. And I mean, their brain, honestly, I think often is hopeful that this is the Mm -hmm. end. You know what I mean? Like if I'm feeling that, well, that's what I learned. And I must be getting, you know, the whole thing. And then I mean, People have been 10, 12 hours from having a baby often after reporting, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So how helpful, I guess, is all the learning. But that might be a deviation from our topic for today. No, I don't think it's a deviation at all. And I think it also kind of blends into another topic, which we had talked about maybe doing a whole podcast on. So we don't have to do a whole thing about it. But just, you know, when I do occasionally do a vaginal exam, it's almost always at a first birth and how that tool is really, you know, rarely needed at future births because there is so much more just like awareness and understanding of the process and how it feels with subsequent births for that woman. Um, So it's like, it's so interesting that, you know, that's usually what I tell people in interviews too, when they ask about vaginal exams and do I do them routinely? And it's like, no, but when I do do them, it's usually at a first birth. Um, where we're kind of confused and the puzzle is not making sense to us or what you're saying isn't lining up with what it's se- where it seems like you're at in the process. Um, and I don't know where I was going with that, but it was a thought <laughs> that popped into my head. Yeah, for sure. I agree. The vaginal exams and the transports are almost all with first births mm-hmm. because it seems like if someone isn't following just like the stereotypical and not that everyone has to be stereotypical, but just like the labor flow of a physiological birth, it's going to be a first birth. And I know we don't consider those things pathological. It's not like, you know, if someone has a long first labor, it's not failure, failure to progress. I mean, we're not calling it crazy stuff like that, but we recognize that there might be some variations in kind of where people get hung up for lack of a better phrase, mm-hmm. you know, in the process. And it makes me think of <laughs> Gloria LeMay. I can't, I don't know what the quote is exactly. So maybe, you know, but kind of like she teaches something like, you know, when a woman is in the process, she's either two centimeters or the baby's coming out. Like those are sort of the choices when you're confused. Mm-hmm. And it was like that also makes sense with first labors, you know, that people kind of can get hung up like earlier in the process. And that takes a really long time for them, or it's sort of later. Uh, Anyway. Yeah, maybe that would be a good segue into that, I guess. Um, Maybe just like first and overall, like how often are these different variations happening? And then maybe getting into some of like the sub variations, especially of the long ones. Right. That'd be fun. So we were looking back at our records and I love doing math. Not that this was complicated math at all, but um, out of the, 
<laughs> out of the first time moms that we have worked with. Um, so not including VBACs, but just straight up first births. Um, about half of them were what we were calling average. Like we don't remember them being remarkably long or remarkably short. They were just sort of the typical, um, you know, you show up, you're there for between, I would say four and eight hours before the baby's born and everything is pretty smooth and, and there's no question. Like those are the births where you're not really doing vaginal exams um, because everything is just like going along swimmingly. So you would say to Marin. Yeah. And I guess in my mind, they might even be a little bit longer if we were really caring about sure. time. Like even 12 hours seems pretty like average to me. Yeah. I mean, of us like being there. So that might even be like a longer early labor or whatever, but yeah, like no one's feeling, no uh, as I say, and yeah, no one's like totally shwasted afterwards. <laughs> like, whoa, like <laughs> I need a week to recover from this or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> So that's half, about half, a little more than half. It was 54%. Um, and then we said 16% were fast or very fast. So I don't know. Do you want to describe what that might look like? Yeah, this is always the trickiest thing when you're working with first-time moms and you get that call. And I don't think <laughs> you can ever be a midwife long enough to really like ever know what's going to happen, which is also why you can wind up at a birth, a first birth way too long and get there earlier than you need to, because you really are taking into account this, whatever percent you just said of first babies. Yeah. 16 that really do fly out. And I mean, I've definitely missed first births for that reason as well, because it's just sort of a hard to imagine that it's happening that fast. And B, as we've discussed, the mom has no context for what she's feeling. So she's just maybe in it. And they don't think to call because they're just in it. And the baby comes out. And maybe um, they thought they were going to be in the yeah. average or very long category. Right. I mean, they have your voice in their head telling them, you know, this could be three days, just so you know, like that has happened. So it's like, you can't win in some scenarios, you know, like you just can't know more than you know, and we're not routinely sticking our hands up there. So sometimes, you know, you're just going with the information you're given, uh, people timing contractions, people telling you how long they are or how strong they are, bloody show, that kind of thing. I feel like when that crops up in a first birth early, it always kind of perks my uh, attention because I feel like those are the ones that seem to be moving faster. Um, of course, I mean, you're also gauging like how far you live from this person and, you know, if it warrants you going over or checking in. So, I mean, there's just no perfect formula even on our end for how that looks. Uh, I guess the simplest version is, you know, it seems like things are moving along. You're right. You get in your car, <laughs> you get there and there's a baby shortly after and it's just, you know, no big deal. Somehow it's always still quite a surprise. I think the 16% number was surprising to me because I feel like those ones, I'm always like, wow, is this really happening this fast? Um, which I guess it's still not like that, that common, but it's not that uncommon either. Yeah. 
I know. I mean, I don't even know how I feel about the number. I think I was saying, I feel like more in my memory are fast, but like we said, maybe we just keep those closer to the front of our memory because they're good. You know, they're not better stories. They're just certainly like surprising and, you know, more fluid, which is always. Yeah. Often simpler, not always, but um, yeah. I feel like I was going to say something else. Oh, what I was going to say is I think the other really tricky part is when I, as you were saying that I was thinking about all these phone calls that, you know, we've both gotten about people being in labor and often like the report on that phone call from the fast births is the same as the ones that end up being average or very long. Right. So it's so hard to decipher. Right. That's you know, like I can, point. Yeah, like I can think of a couple that were really fast here where, well, one, I didn't even think she was in labor. I was just bringing her to the birth pool and the baby flew out when I brought it. And then the other one was last year when I was pregnant. And, you know, I got there thinking like, oh, yeah, like things are happening. But I was fully expecting to be there, you know, six plus hours before the baby was out. And the baby was born within like 30 minutes of me getting there. So it's just such a funny thing. Like the phone call. Yeah. I wish there was a better like way again to predict if only to know how much energy we should conserve too. Right. Yeah. That's such an interesting point. It, I mean, it's always makes it more clear in a way when we talk about it, but I think, yeah, that is so confusing. And what comes to mind is that right? Even either the baby is coming really soon or it's someone that frankly is having a really hard time handling labor in the early stages. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's no judgment on that. I think people go in often with like a lot of anticipation and anxiety and just like, you know, kind of pressure for how this birth's going to go. And they kind of start off with a bang, paying way too much attention. But again, they don't necessarily know that. And maybe it is feeling really intense for one reason or another. So again, it's that like perception of things being farther along when they're really Mm -hmm. not. Well, I think the thing that the, and I think we'll get into this, I think the trickiest kind of first birth is that kind where people, you know, are watching for the 511 or the 411 rule. And like, they really are having contractions every four or five minutes. And, but they, and so they think that they're in active labor and it's kind of like a fake out. And I don't, I mean, that's one of the ones that I have like the hardest time wrapping my head around. And that's what I experienced with my first was, you know, three nights of thinking I was in active labor, but two of them were not. (laughs) One of them finally was. And when it finally came time, it's like, it wasn't really that different than the other two nights. Right. Um, so it's like such a tricky, yeah. And then the stop and start and then like the sun comes up and its face is back out or whatever variation of that I think is so tricky because you get that call and you're like, oh yeah, baby will be born by morning. And then baby is not born by morning. And everyone is just like, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. I mean, it can be where it can feel real. And even in some of my births, not not my first birth, but like way later births where you think I would have known better. 
And I did in some ways. I mean, I could tell you that the contractions were real. Like I knew that a baby wasn't coming anytime soon, but they also were real in my body. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's definitely not our job to like A, know or B, tell people like what they're feeling. But again, I guess that's where the occasional vaginal exam can come in handy to be like, hey, look, you know, I know this is hard and it is feeling intense. However, your body is not quite in the process. So how are we going to work with this, you know? Um, And again, that's super helpful information and people that like don't do vaginal exams at all or think they're the devil. I'm like, man, that sucks in those situations because someone can literally be not even in the process yet. Like their body is not open at all and they're working hard. And if you, for some reason, you know, make the mistake of thinking they're getting close. Um, And I think we've all done that too, in a way, you know, before the exam being like, okay, seems like, and then things don't happen. And then you eventually do an exam and you're like, oh, okay. Um, Not quite what things are looking like on the outside. So we need to reset here. Uh, You're not Mm -hmm. in the process yet. Like, what are we going to do? How do we get you to sleep? How can we get you to eat more food? Um, You know, we're going to do those things, get you settled. And we're probably going to leave because, you know, so it's like the story can just like change abruptly with that Mm -hmm. added information, which is so hard for people and all that. But it's also just the way some stories go. Yeah. And so often, you know, that can, I guess that was a thing we didn't look at the numbers for. Maybe I'll peek at that later, but you know, sometimes that's totally normal. And then sometimes that's like the first in again, in hindsight, 2020, sometimes that's the first indicator of like, this is headed towards a transport, which yep. is another topic. Yep. Um, Cause that can be such a make or break moment. I think where people are like, wait a second, you know, and not that people can't go from four centimeters to pushing out a baby. You know, like we know, we know those stories exist. Um, but more often than not, that's not usually the case. And and even then, it's not like, a, oh, this is a bad situation, especially with those first exams. Usually, more often than not, it's just, like you said, resetting and uh, managing expectations is huge. And whether somebody can do that in the moment or not often sort of decides which way it's going to go. And it's one of those midwifery skills I think all of us are always trying to get better at how to like share that information in a way that isn't going to totally demoralize someone, Um, which I think is another topic we're going to do a podcast on someday. So I won't tell you too much more about that, but. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just a piece and no one's saying like the dilation means anything, but of course we're assessing more than that anyhow, like Mm -hmm. how the body feels and where the baby is. And, you know, so sure it's an educated guess, but it's also, I think better to err on the side of caution in those situations. Like if the baby flies out in the next hour, cool, we're all wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, but more often than not, we know that doesn't happen. And if this person doesn't rest and Mm -hmm. take the long view, like, you know, I'm in a marathon view, then they do end up in transport, um, because it's emotionally exhausting, it's physically exhausting. You know, I don't, I don't think honestly, we were probably made to do this like day in and day out and night in and night out for like days on end. I mean, it does happen. And a lot of those stories still work out great. But it's like, 
you know, it can just be really trying, I guess. And that's overall. And it's not super ideal. Um, I think none of us will pretend that it is. And um, especially for the baby, you know, I think that's when we, when we think about many, many moons ago when we didn't have things like, you know, cesarean births readily available and relatively safely accessible, you know, moms probably would eventually get the baby out, but in what condition is always the question um, that we have in the back of our minds as midwives and not to be fearful, but just to be pragmatic. And right. So I think these conversations are so good to be having. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's the truth though. Like, so I guess we didn't say the number. Delusional. What number? Sorry. That was a, there was a robot lag in our connection. Just the number that we had said we considered to be very long births, which was 30% of first time births. So almost one in three. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we covered that one variation. I don't know how many variations we would say there are, but I feel like that really long early phase where someone is not able endless. Yeah. Endless. But I mean, again, we're talking about like someone isn't able to just go about their life or whatever. Like they're working sort of hard. They're not really wanting to leave the house. You know, I mean, they seem to be in it, but it's like, it hasn't really started yet. That's one variation. And I think we kind of agree. That's one of the hardest ones to sometimes Mm -hmm. work through. Um, The other one, I guess that I recently experienced was more on the other end of things which, you know, maybe there isn't even a real early feeling phase. It sort of maybe feels like active labor almost immediately. Um, We're not checking people again routinely. So we could guess that women in this, you know, pretend story probably open really fast-ish. But then, but then there seems to be a place where they kind of hang out nearly open or open Mm -hmm. for quite some time before the birth itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I experienced one of those recently, too. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we can't say like, what's easier or harder, because people are just different. Um, in that scenario, I mean, the person is in the process. And usually my experience, if I had to like, summarize it from my perspective, is that the baby needs to make like that final rotation. There's that last little bit of opening. Sometimes we like to, you know, call it that there's a a cervical lip, which of course is physiological. So the point is, it's just not quite time. It's just not quite time, but somebody can keep having contractions over and over for hours and hours and just kind of stay at that place. And, um, you know, I, I do have stories where women didn't, keep going at home for obvious reasons, you know, and decided Mm -hmm. to transport in at that last minute and usually just end up having their babies in the hospital, which is a whole other story. Uh, But many of course do persevere. And I feel like in those situations we're we're really actively trying to help as much as we can with positions and just, you know, encouragement and food and all the things to just have that last little bit happen on its own time. But you know, of course, not like days and days away or anything like that, which doesn't really seem to happen. (laughs) 
Uh, and yeah, and then often when they're successful in kind of making that last little bit happen, then the babies usually come out really easy. So it's just kind of like that lull for whatever, all the emotional, physical reasons um, that someone would sort of be in that place for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sort of like, as you're saying that too, I feel like there's a combo when sometimes like people have a long early and then also the long oh, end. Right. That's like a double whammy. Um, Those are the long ones. The long, long, the double longs. But yeah, I think there's definitely such an interesting pattern where, yeah, like that eight, nine, or even like nine and a half centimeter, if we're going to give a number or whatever, that like pause, or it's not even a pause. Like you said, there's so many contractions still happening, but just for some reason, that last little bit, I feel like your voice is always in my head at birth like that saying it's just not time yet. Just like you just did. Um, which I know I've said to women and can be so hard. And, you know, I experienced with, with both my births um, that like, Oh my gosh, I'm so like that feeling like you're so close, but like when, when is it going to happen? Totally. It's a different psychological uh, thing to contend with for sure. Yeah, totally. And not to go off on a tangent, but today's True's birthday. He's our sixth baby. It was probably my hardest birth. And so I was reflecting to Jason this morning, how if I had to do it over, I would have tried not to rush that part. Because mm-hmm. even though he was a sixth baby, like it was going to take the time it took probably because he had like the world's largest skull. Um, <laughs> you know, so it, I mean, it does, it's not always first birth. Even I can think of another birth. I think it was her fourth baby. It was also a large, large baby and a large head where it's, it did take that time. And like you said, it's just not time. And I like to ponder the reasons, you know, I mean, definitely there's the physical aspect. I think there's maternal fears and emotions that definitely can hold that part up possibly for good reason until someone feels more resolved and safe. Um, And then there's also the baby's experience, you know, of the physical molding of the head and, and all the emotional and spiritual things that need to happen for a baby to like essentially get in place. And I think I've seen it or felt it um, with vaginal exams during this point in labor, a couple different ways. One being what I kind of said, which was, you know, the baby's not quite rotated, which means the baby's also not really descended yet very mm-hmm. much. I mean, maybe it's like sort of feeling like it's about to arrive at that place um, for the nerds among us at like zero station, but not even quite there. And then I've also felt it where the baby's completely, you know, engaged at zero or lower but it's still not time. And so it's a really interesting concept, you know, that goes against a lot of the teachings and textbooks, not only that someone would be open and not ready, but that you would have a baby kind of at the right um, descent and still not have the stars align yet. And it could be many hours still. Mm-hmm. Mm, such good things to be thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. But I think overall, like that's, it feels like a more encouraging situation, you know, rather than the early one where it's like, okay, time to regroup, you know, let's come up with a plan. Um, Often I feel like there is a plan for these later scenarios just to get someone through. 
uh, because we don't know. And I've said that out loud, like you're almost open and your baby is really coming down. But is it an hour? Is it nine right. hours? Like I have no idea. Yeah. And that makes me think of so many stories, but like, as you were talking about the different emotional pieces of it too, it's like, and I don't know if it's just cause I've experienced this myself, but sometimes that to me, and I'm sure you would agree that you've seen this because I know we've seen it together. Women have to like, just decide yeah. kind of they're done. Like, and I always like to ponder like, what is that lesson about? Just like a boundary holding being like, all right, baby, I gave you time <laughs> and I've been patient, but I have no more patience left. And like, this has to end now or like, yeah, I don't know what the lesson or the overall, you know, uh, metaphysical reasons might be, but it's an interesting pattern I would say that I've seen and also felt myself, um, in my body. So yeah, so I many variations. Right. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, well, I mean, you've experienced it. So I think there's like a limit or a, an unlimited amount of interpretations, but something I often feel when I'm on the side of being the midwife is that it's control in a sense. And I mean, fear mm. can often be wrapped up in control. So like, you know, I said to you when I was at the last birth that felt this way, um, like she has to open the gate, like you have to open the gate and then you have to be willing to step through it. And mm. it's amazing how long you can just plateau at the, at the gate, you know, mm-hmm. and, and people are maybe, subconsciously or unconsciously, I don't know, like, they're not ready yet, like they're not ready to open the gate. And so sometimes we have this talk with people like, that's fine. Uh, When you're ready, you're ready. But like, you do have to open it and step through if you want to have a baby. And you'll do that here, or you can do that somewhere else. (laughs) You know, but Mm -hmm. that is like a conscious choice. And again, maybe in different times, you know, when we're more like, totally undisturbed and fetal ejection reflex and whatever, like people didn't have to think that way or say to themselves like, okay, I'm ready now. Like I'm ready to take that next step. But it seems more often than not that in first births, yeah, there's just that like conscious, like, cause you see people maintaining, right? Like you see them doing really awesome at the plateau. They've, they're handling the contractions fine, but the minute they do a different position, that's maybe suggested to them and it gets really intense. They back away and they're like, Oh God, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well you don't have to, but that's the next step. Like that feeling, that's what you, that's what you walk into to bring your baby here. So it's your choice when you do that. But as long as you push it away, then you'll keep doing this. Mm. I usually say, do you want to keep doing this? You'll keep doing this for as long as you want to do this till you get tired or something else happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's such an element of, you know, it's obviously more than physical, but sometimes it feels like the births where the emotional piece matters the most are just the ones where like the hormonal unfolding isn't as strong. If that makes sense. Like I've seen fast births when like I've known people like have, you know, either, struggled with the fact that they were pregnant or have really hard relationships. Like, you know, it's just so, but like somehow the physiology just completely takes over and those things don't matter. But then it's like when there's time to think or like when those hormones aren't like, you know, doing the, I don't know, just aren't, 
as intensely flowing. It's like, I feel like that's what I see those emotional dystocias kind of creep in. Totally. Um, so yeah, it's so interesting how much control we have or don't and like what affects that. Yeah. And you know, not to like toot the horn of like the usefulness of midwives, but I think it's a great <laughs> thing to interject Toot, toot. why one would perhaps hire a midwife or why we enjoy doing the work we do because yeah it's really freaking awesome when babies fall out and when you just get there and the head's coming and you take beautiful photos um but you know what anyone can do that absolutely mm-hmm. anyone can do that and that's amazing however what about these births where you know we're able to see the pieces of the puzzle from like um, a different view than the woman that's birthing. And we wouldn't expect someone to see those pieces. We really wouldn't even want them to be like mm-hmm. analyzing and balancing, but that's what we do. And so if someone simply, you know, hasn't had calories for X number of mm-hmm. hours, their hormonal process is probably going to derail, right? So, I mean, we might mm-hmm. not ever know the answers, but it's like, a constant assessment of like problem solving to help someone have that normal birth at home. And it's more common than people want to think, you know, I mean, awesome for all the free birth stories and the this and the that out there, like those should totally be shared. But more often than not, first births um, require some kind of like, I don't know, I don't know what the word is. I mean, not manipulation, but like, gentle problem solving or support. Um, in a way mm-hmm. that when people are alone, I just don't even know how how they do that other than just hanging in there, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or they don't. And a lot of those stories don't get shared. Right. Um, even midwife attended home birth transport stories don't get shared very often, um, which that's a whole separate topic that we should totally talk about maybe on another episode. Just like, I don't know, it's like, transport has been so demonized in a lot of ways by certain parts of the birth world and then in other places taken too lightly. And it's like, I don't know. So I, I have someone in mind for a cool transport story where, you know, again, here at Indie Birth, we don't think any of the tools are bad. You know, they're there for a purpose and, Sometimes they're the perfect choice for somebody and they end up feeling really good about that choice. And um, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I have a podcast on transport somewhere. Um, I think it's, yeah, really interesting to think about, you know, the role that we feel like we play as midwives and of course, you know, women making that choice and, you know, to kind of sum it up, I mean, there's a lot of transports for more political reasons. So I guess, I'm not in favor of that. I'm in favor of using your brain and um, having the woman decide based on the information that everyone has and or our own input or intuition that might say, hey, you know what? This doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel like everything's um, on track. So yeah, that's a complex situation, but it's certainly part of first time births and really every, every conversation. Yeah, I guess what was making me think of that is like you said, there's all these really great stories of first births, which are great. And I think, um, you know, when I shared 
Celosia's birth story, I remember that, that being a really conscious intention was like, I'm sharing this and I'm sharing how hard it was and how it really wasn't smooth. And it was bumpy and scary in parts. And, um, you know, mine did work out still at home and that's where I did feel best to be. Um, but just wanting there to be a better, like a more diverse, um, storyline out there because, you know, in a lot of ways, I think what you were getting at too is, um, home birth can sometimes be romanticized in a way that makes people feel like, Oh, well, if I just get the pool and I get the right, you know, mantra cards and I get the right twinkle lights, like it'll just be so easy. And, you know, like we've seen most births, most first births are relatively smooth and easy. They're faster or sort of just regular speed and ease. Um, but you know, about one in three are more challenging. So it's good to just be real about that and, and feel like you've got the tools and the support you need if that does come up. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a perfect ending to me. Cool. All right. Well, to be continued perhaps with some other fun discussions on vaginal exams, et cetera. So if you have a topic, we'd always love to hear from you. We definitely take suggestions seriously. You can get us uh, by email or on our social platform, social.indiebirth.org, free for anyone to join and hang out with us on forums. Have a great day. 